Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. As always, I love you and I appreciate you. Uh, in spite of what my middle school boys think, I, I'm really not that old. Most of you acknowledge that. My boys don't acknowledge that. But, I, you know, I, I mean, in spite of what they think, I, I was not there when Moses parted the Red Sea. I've never seen a, a living dinosaur. Um, I wasn't there when uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed. So I'm, I'm not that old. But I am old enough to remember, and some of you might think that this is not real, but I promise you it's real. I'm old enough to remember that when we would leave the house, we would not take our phones with us. And the reason we didn't take our phones with us is that they had to be attached to a wall. I, I, know, I know that seems like sci-fi or something, but it was real. Um, and so much so that we would, we would leave the house, believe it or not, without our phones for hours at a time, days at a time, sometimes weeks at a time, go on vacation, and our phones are at home by themselves. And... and Sometimes someone would have something really important to tell us and they would call our house and, and nobody was there, of course, to get the phone. And so we had machines, like literal physical machines, you know, and, and there was this machine in our house that would record people's calls. So we would come back from a trip. Some of you remember this, right? We'd come back from a trip and we'd come into the house and there'd be a blinking red light, which meant somebody had thought of us and there's something important that they needed to tell us. And we would play the message and they would tell us this important message. The thing is, that message might be hours old, it might be days old, it's possible that was weeks old information, right? And it's hard to believe that that was a reality when we live in a world now where if someone's pet cat does something cute in Japan, you know about it in seconds, right? I mean, we live in a world now with cable news, with notifications, with smartphones, with Wi-Fi, with all the things that we have now where a message can travel around the world in seconds, where if something important happens, you expect to know about it, not in months, not in weeks, not in days, not in hours, sometimes not even in minutes, you expect to know about it immediately. So it's kind of hard for us to imagine a world where some of the most important people in the world were messengers. That when something important happened, something life-changing happened, maybe sometimes world-altering happened, you had to find somebody that was trusted you had to find a trusted person and give them this message. And you had to entrust that message with that person to go, sometimes a very long distance. Sometimes it would take them days or weeks, maybe even months to travel to the place with the people that they needed to tell that message to. And sometimes them getting the message to those people was a matter of life and death. And these messengers were heroes in the ancient world. And I think for those of us who are Christians, we need to recover that way of thinking about messengers. People who take an important, life-changing, world-altering message 
to the people who need to hear it. This weekend, I was blessed to to be here for some of the medical missions conference and to listen to our brothers and sisters who are heroes taking a message to the people who need to hear it. I got to hear people like Dr. Shannon DeShazo, who's a member here, share about work in Ghana. Jerry Pyle, share about the work in South Texas and Mexico. I got to hear about work in Haiti and Cameroon, work in Nicaragua, work all over the world, where people are, they're not just going to tell people that Jesus loves them, they're going to show people the love of Jesus, both sharing and caring. And these messengers that are taking this message, who are embodying this message of the gospel, they are heroes. Because this message can't be transmitted just with a text or a notification. It needs people. People who are brave enough to believe this message and carry this message wherever it needs to go. But we also have to acknowledge that it's not just the people way over there who need this message. It's the people right out there who need this message. The people in our own backyard, your, your next door neighbor, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, who need someone to take this message to them. But I'd even go further than that. And I would say it's not just the people way over there or even the people out there who need to hear the message. It's also the people right in here. It's me and it's you. It's us. And sometimes we desperately need to hear this life-changing, world-altering message and we need someone to bring it to us. This year, all year, we're, we're focused on this idea of reflect and renew, really talking about looking inside at ourselves, self-evaluation. But one of the dangers, I think, with this idea of self-evaluation is that we might, we might start to think that the response to self-evaluation, when we inevitably see things that we don't like, I I talked to a lot of you this week after you filled out your evaluation form. There was a lot of us that saw things when we evaluated our lives that we didn't like, right? And many of us might think that the proper response to self-evaluation is self-improvement or self-help. And and don't get me wrong, I like self-improvement. I like that idea. I just finished reading a book on habits. It was fantastic. I I love the idea of self-improvement. But as Christians, we have to acknowledge self-improvement is not the solution. Self-improvement is not the ultimate solution. The solution to the problems that we see inside of us cannot be solved merely through self-improvement. It can't be solved through self-help. The Bible is not a self-help book. In fact, the Bible reveals to us that there is a problem we have that we cannot solve, but he can. There is one who can solve the problems that we have. So the response to self-evaluation isn't self-improvement, it is spiritual renewal. It is Jesus renewing us. And as a messenger, that's the message that I'm running to tell you today. I'm running to tell you this message 
that self-improvement is not the solution. You, you can work on yourself all you want to, but the ultimate solution, the solution to the biggest problems that we have, cannot be solved through self-help and self-improvement. These are problems that only Jesus can fix. There's a solution that we need, not just that they need, that we need. And that solution is Jesus and his work through the Spirit to transform us. Now, that was a hard message, even for the religious world of the first century, even for the, the Jewish world of the first century. Think about the Apostle Paul. We've talked a lot about Paul and about how he ministered to not just pagans out in the world, not just idol worshipers, the Gentiles, but also to his Jewish brothers and sisters because they needed this message too. They needed this message that they had a problem that only Jesus could fix, that Jesus was the solution to their sin problem. And many of them didn't want to hear that message. Look, if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. He's talking, Paul's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, and this is what he says. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He says they, they have this passion and this zeal for God, but, but they're lacking this important knowledge that they're trying to establish their own righteousness because they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? Righteousness is being right with God, being acceptable to God. And, and we all, we all struggle with this, don't we? Even those of us that are religious people, even those of us who've been church attenders our whole lives, we struggle with this because we also want to establish our own righteousness. Be good enough, be smart enough, be strong enough, do all the right things, check all the things off the list so that we are acceptable to God. But Paul says Jesus is the end of the righteousness by the law because God makes those who believe in Jesus acceptable in his sight. God does this work. And in order to prove that, Paul kind of goes back to the law itself, to the law of Moses, to the, what we call the Old Testament. And he shows how this has always been the case. The people who are acceptable to God are the ones who trust him. They're the ones who put their faith in him. They're the ones who call on his name. It's always been that way, but now it's been ultimately revealed that when you put your faith in Jesus, it's God who makes you acceptable to himself. Look at Romans 10 and verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. The, the only way to have righteousness based on the law is to do it all. Do it all. Keep all of them. Don't mess up in any way. And, and, and what does that leave everyone with? 
falling short of God's glory. No one is is righteous like that. No one is righteous according to the law if we're going to say you have to keep them all and do them all and check everything off of the list. He says Moses talks about that idea, but Moses also speaks of the righteousness that is based on faith. The righteousness that is received by faith. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, and here he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, The righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Because that is to bring Christ down. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, don't say God expects the impossible of us. Don't say that. Don't say God expects the impossible of us. Don't ask who's going to ascend to heaven in order to make this a reality. The righteousness based on faith was always there and testified to. Don't think that God expects you to do the impossible. What God expects from you has always been right there. He's laid it out for you. He's told you what he expects. He's laid it out right there in front of you. And and Paul says, don't say who will ascend into heaven because that is to bring Christ down. He says in verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss or who will cross the sea? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. You, you You don't have to climb the highest mountain. You don't have to ascend into heaven. You don't have to slay a dragon. You don't have to descend into the abyss in order to be pleasing to God. Moses told the people of his generation that. But how much more the people of our generation? Because Jesus has done all of that for you. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Jesus has descended to the abyss. So don't ask, why does God expect the impossible of me? He doesn't. He doesn't expect the impossible of you. He never has. And he never will. Don't think that you can obtain this life by your own strength and power or that God expects that of you. Look at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Moses told his generation the same thing. It's right here. It's right here. God doesn't expect you to ascend into heaven or descend into the abyss. He doesn't expect you to cross the sea. He doesn't expect you to climb a mountain or walk across burning coals. He doesn't expect you to slay a dragon. He just expects you to listen to him and trust him. Do what he tells you to do. And Paul says this word of faith is it's right there for you. Don't think that God expects the impossible of you. It's right here. Embrace it. Believe it. Hear it. Receive it. It says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Sounds a lot like what Isaiah says in 28, Isaiah 28 and verse 16. It sounds a whole lot like what Deuteronomy 30 says. Moses is explaining to them, don't, 
Don't ask who's going to do the impossible. Just, just listen to what God is telling you and do it. And even in that same context, here's what Moses says. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving, listen, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Love him. Cling to him. He is your life. So Paul says, this has always been true. The scriptures have always said, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And Jesus is this ultimate revelation of this truth. I will do it. I have done it. I've ascended for you. I've descended for you. I've died for you. I've claimed the victory. Trust in me. Give me your loyalty. Give me your allegiance. Believe in me. Put your faith in me. Confess with your mouth that you believe. And Paul says, that's what God expects of you. that's That's how you are acceptable in his sight. Not because you've done the impossible. He's done it. And your job is to believe him. Trust him. Receive this good news. This is good news, isn't it? This is news. This is news that Paul was risking his life to go all over the world to deliver this message. This message that was true for the Jew and it was true for the Gentile. It was true for everyone that if you trust that what Jesus has done on your behalf is enough. If you put your trust in him, if you give your allegiance to him, if you confess him as your king, if you surrender yourself to him, then it's yours. Salvation is yours as a gift. This good news, this message, this life-changing, world-altering event Paul was spreading the news of this to everyone. Look at verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing, I love this phrase, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here he's quoting from Joel, the prophet, chapter 2, verse 32. Joel said, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those who the Lord calls. Trust him. Confess your trust in him. Believe in him. Give Give him your allegiance and your faith. And Paul says this this message, this truth, that it's not by the law of Moses. You You can't circumcise your way into God's acceptability. You can't circumcise. You can't eat your way, eat the right foods and keep the right holidays. By keeping these customs of our people, you're not making yourself righteous. You can't establish your own righteousness according to the law. You have to trust in him. Do do we? 
Do you? Or are we still trying to establish our own righteousness? It's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting asking, have I done enough? Am I enough? Have I obeyed enough? Have I gone far enough? Salvation, salvation begins. Righteousness begins with accepting this truth that we are in a right relationship with him. If we are in a right relationship with him, it's because we trust him. Not that we are strong enough or good enough or smart enough, but that he is and that what he has done on our behalf is sufficient. Do we believe that? Have we received that life-changing, world-altering news that the Messiah has done it? Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? If, if this is the truth, if the truth is those who believe, those who confess their belief, those who put their faith in Jesus the Messiah, if that's the truth, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are their feet. This truth is the truth that the whole world needs to hear. And, it, and if, that's, if that's true, if this message that Jesus saves that faith in Jesus makes us or is counted as righteousness, if that's true, then the heroes of the story now are those who are willing to take this message to the people who need to hear it. Because how can they confess this truth unless they believe this truth? And how can they believe this truth unless they hear this truth? And how can they hear this truth unless someone preaches this truth? And how can they preach this truth unless God sends them out to go preach this message that changes you and it changes me and it changes the world? How beautiful are their feet. Isaiah is where these words come from. Isaiah chapter 52 verses 6 through 8 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your king reigns. Your king reigns. That's the good news. Your king reigns. That's the good news. The Messiah has come. That's the good news. He has claimed the victory. That's the good news that if you put your trust in him and give him your allegiance, then God counts that as righteousness in his sight. That's the good news. And Paul says those who are preaching this good news, they've got beautiful feet. They've got beautiful feet. They're risking it all to share this message with others. So that the introspective question I want us to wrestle with is, what do our feet look like? Are we taking this message to the people who need to hear it? 
Do we first, do we actually believe it? Have we confessed it? And are we sharing it? Are you sharing it with the people who need to hear it? This is the work that Jesus has called us to do, to believe it, to confess it, and to share it. He says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. See, this, this message that your God reigns, your God reigns, your Messiah has claimed the victory. He has conquered sin and death. You can be right in the sight of God by putting your faith in him. This good news, this gospel, we have to hear it and believe it, receive it, confess it. We have to live in obedience to it. I get a little frustrated sometimes how we call being baptized obeying the gospel. And we say sometimes like past tense, they obeyed the gospel. Well, yes, that is the beginning of your obedience to the gospel, but it doesn't stop when you're baptized. That's just the beginning of your obedience to the gospel. We obey the gospel every day that we get out of bed and we live in allegiance to, with allegiance to Jesus. We obey the gospel every day that we put our faith in him for righteousness, for salvation. We obey the gospel when we live every day trying to imitate our Messiah, trying to imitate our rabbi, listening to him, loving him, trusting him, that his way really is the way of life. Not the way of the world, but the way of Jesus is the way of life. We have to hear this message. We have to believe this message. We have to confess this message. We have to live in obedience to this message. And we have to share this message with the world. Not everyone has obeyed this message. Not everyone has heard this message. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How can they hear unless someone shares it with them? How can your family hear? unless somebody shares it with them? How can your neighbors hear unless someone shares it with them? How can your classmates hear unless someone shares it with them? Salvation comes by putting our faith in Christ, and faith comes by hearing this message. So someone has to take the message to them. And here's what I believe, that the mouth eagerly speaks what the heart truly believes. Isn't that true? Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you truly believe in your heart, you're going to talk about. I've seen it. You've seen it. The things that you love, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you really believe, the mouth eagerly speaks what the heart truly, in sharing the message of Jesus with their neighbors. I just want to fill you up with the message. Because I believe that's, that's what makes for evangelism. That's what makes for sharing the good news about Jesus is that when our heart is filled with this message, we can't help but share it with other people. When you really believe it, when you truly believe it, you will confess it. It will come out of your mouth. When you truly believe it, you will live in obedience to it. When you truly believe it, you will share it with the people who need to hear it. 
The mouth eagerly speaks what the heart truly believes. And so if you're not confessing it, if you're not sharing it with others, then maybe stop and ask yourself, do I really believe it? Do I really believe that I cannot establish my own righteousness? Do I really believe that by putting my faith in what Jesus has done, by uniting myself with him in baptism, by dying to myself, by being raised up with him, that he is doing the saving, that he is doing the transforming, that he is changing me. Do I believe that good news? Because when you really believe it, and then you meet people who need to hear it, you can't help but share it with them. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, and maybe you're ready, maybe for the first time in your life, you're ready to respond to the good news. You really, truly believe that righteousness, that being right with God, being acceptable to God, begins with putting your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're ready to respond to that by being baptized into Christ. But maybe you've already made that decision. And maybe somewhere along the way, you've lost sight of who does the saving, who does the transforming, who does the changing. And maybe you need to recommit your faith and your trust to him. Or maybe you're just struggling and you're hurting and you need your prayers of your brothers and sisters. Our shepherds would love to meet with you after service. Or right now, you could come forward. As together we stand and sing.